Have your Bibles tonight, open them to John's Gospel, the third chapter. Then go to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. We'll read some more scripture there close by, but you'll be close enough there. John's Gospel, the third chapter, and Hebrews chapter 12. Third chapter of John's Gospel. Let's start reading with the very first verse. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now out of that I want you to notice particularly the sixth verse. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Now turning to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I want us to notice two verses. First of all, we're going to read verse 9. Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? Then you'll notice, beginning with the 18th verse of this 12th chapter, Paul said, For ye, remember now that he's writing unto Hebrew Christians. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, 
and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Of course, he's talking about Mount Sinai there, you understand. But ye, oh hallelujah, ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now I want you to notice particularly that he said that we are come unto the general assembly and church of the firstborn, that's us, which are written in heaven, and to the judge of all and the spirits, notice that expression, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Don't let that word perfect throw you. It just simply means spirits that have become mature or grown up spiritually. You see, God wants us to grow up spiritually and mature spiritually just like we grow up physically and mature and like we should grow up mentally and mature. He wants us to grow up spiritually. Now then, let's look while we're close by here into the first epistle of Peter and the second, the very first chapter and the 23rd verse. First Peter chapter one, verse 23. Being born again, You see that uh, verse, portion of scripture over there, Jesus spoke about being born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now then turn to the second epistle of Peter, second Peter, second Peter. Did you wear your shouting clothes tonight? Praise the Lord. Well, look here. Let's just start with the very first verse to get the import of what he's saying. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through 
the knowledge of God. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How's grace and peace multiplied unto you? Through the knowledge of God. Or you might say through the knowledge of the word of God. According as his divine power, ooh, I'll tell you, I'm getting happy just thinking about it. <laughs> I may take a running spell. <laughs> Praise God. Look at that third verse now. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How is it given unto us? Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. My, if we just gave the benediction and went home right now, we'd, we'd just probably dance half the way home. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isn't that right? Boy, and that's not all. I've looked at that fourth verse. Whew. Man, I don't know where I'm going to be able to get this out or not. <laughs> Hallelujah. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to talk about developing the human spirit. I'm sure of this one thing. You notice these verses talk about knowledge. But I'm sure of this one thing, speaking of the church world as a whole, that the knowledge of the effect of the life of God and of eternal life that we receive on man's spirit is yet in its infancy. But we're learning, glory to God. You see, the Bible teaches us, and you can glean that from the scriptures we read, it talks about God being the father of spirits. You see, Jesus said God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Man, you see, is in God's class of being. He is a spirit. Whether he's saved or unsaved, he's still a spirit being. He has a soul, and he lives in a body. But man was made in the likeness and the image of God. And as near like the likeness and as near in the image of God as God himself can make it. And that's the reason that in the heart of every man, 
whether he's saved or whether he's not saved. There's a heart hunger. There's a hunger to know God. There's a hunger for something, and they don't realize what it is. And, you know, they'll go to the world and everything else trying to appease that hunger and find the answer to that cry that's in the heart of every man. But blessed be God, that cry and that hunger is satisfied when the spirit of man is born again and comes back into fellowship with God. Because you see, when, when man fell, when Adam sinned, when he fell, his spirit became estranged from God. His spirit became separated from God. He's no longer in fellowship with God. Now then let me turn, with, you turn with me to a scripture real quickly here in the book of Romans, and I want to point out something to you. Something about the spirit, a man. I want you to notice in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans in the ninth verse, something that Paul said, and it explains a lot of things for us. Paul said in Romans 7, 9, for I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He's not talking about physical death here. Now what's he talking about? See, where does the spirits of babies and little children come from? Notice that God is the father of spirits. Did you notice that? Paul's saying, before I reach the age of accountability to know right from wrong, my spirit was alive unto God. My spirit was in fellowship with God. Are you following me? But when the commandment came, when he got old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, because of the fallen fleshly nature of man, that fleshly nature dominated him, sin revived, and I died. His spirit then was no longer in fellowship with God, and that's the reason that he had to be born again then. His spirit had to be reborn. Now, there's something that you perhaps have never thought on. You might pay you to think on a little bit. I used to say this too, and sometimes we say things just because we heard somebody else say it. We say things just because they've been repeated among us. That doesn't mean they're Bible just because we say them. That doesn't mean it's scriptural just because the preacher said it. Amen. Are you listening to me? I said this one time, but I haven't said it for many, many years. But I used to say, right along, like other preachers, you know, come and be born again and get your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because if your name isn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you won't go to heaven. Well, you see, if that statement's true, then no babies are people who've never reached the age of accountability and some people because of their lack of mentality and never reach the age of accountability no, how, no matter how old they are, then they never go to heaven. Then all babies are lost. 
because they haven't been born again. Their name hasn't been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. If that's the way you get your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life is by being born again, then all babies are lost, whether they're babies of saved people or babies of unsaved people. Are you listening to me? Well, first, that doesn't make sense. Second, it's not compatible with the Bible. And third, there's nothing in the Bible that says anything about your name ever being written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you listening to me? Not a thing in the world in there that ever says anything about it. But there is something in there that talks about it being blotted out. And you'll find it's the great white throne judgment and you're not going to be at the white throne judgment if you're a child of God. You're going to spirit the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged whether you're saved or not. You're already judged, that. But to give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. But the unsaved will see death and hell. Death and hell. When he's talking about death, that's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about physical death. Because even the saints, it was physical death, have already been resurrected. But death and hell gave up the dead which were in them. Those that were spiritually dead and in hell appear before the white throne judgment. And the books were opened. Did you ever read that? And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. I get this. And everyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone. Well, if their name never had been there, what are they looking in the book of life to see if their name's there for? Wouldn't that be stupid? Wouldn't that be stupid if somebody never had attended Rhema and we're looking to see if their name's written on our books here? See, one time everybody's name was there. Are you listening to me? I said at one time everybody's name was written in that book. At one time everybody's name was written in that book. See, God planned a family. He could have just created them, you know, put them all here on the earth at once, but he didn't. He just created the one man and woman, gave them the privilege of bringing his family into existence. Are you listening to me? And that spirit is alive unto God. Paul said, I was alive unto God one time without the law. My spirit's alive. But when the commandment came, sin revived. It was there in his flesh all the time, but it revived and I died. What does he mean? He didn't die physically. He's alive when he wrote this letter. He meant that he died spiritually. What is spiritual death? It doesn't mean he ceased to exist. It's separation from God. His spirit then became estranged. His spirit became separated from God just like Adam's did in the beginning. Now that explains something that's been difficult for a lot of folks. Here's a subject that I've been greatly interested in for a good many years and have studied as much or more than any other subject. First of all, I could remember in my own experience as a little boy my spirit was alive to God. My spirit knew God. My spirit fellowship. I mean as far back as I can remember. And I knew in my spirit things that you couldn't get from your head in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Your head wouldn't know it. 
I knew in my spirit that I was called to the ministry. Well, not knowing and having the knowledge of the Bible as you should, I just said, well, I'm called to preach. I'm going to be a preacher. And I used to, you know, before I could talk plain, I was just a small, couldn't even talk plain. People asked you, what are you going to be when you grow up? Well, they wouldn't even ask me because I was too little. They thought I didn't even know that that's, you know, Dub, my oldest brother. And he would always say he's going to be a cowboy or a truck driver. <laughs> well, you'll notice he wears cowboy boots and always drove a truck for years. They didn't ask me, and I'd speak up and say, I'm a preacher. I was trying to say I'm going to be a preacher, but I couldn't talk plain, so I said, I'm a preacher. And I remember as a little boy, I used to get out there in the garden and preach to the cabbage heads. <laughs> Amen. Then I'd get tired preaching to those cabbage heads because I didn't get any response from them. They didn't change their expression. And I'd get over and preach to the bean vines. And in the winter time when there wasn't any cabbage heads, there wasn't any bean vines, I'd climb up in the roof and preach to the bales of hay. You see, it was in my spirit. My spirit's in tune to God. My spirit knew what God wanted me to do. My spirit knew. You see what I mean? Now as I grew older, actually I got about nine years of age, then I reached in my condition, some people reach that age of accountability earlier than others, but it's about nine then, and I went the other way, you see, and sin revived, and I died. And I didn't have that then for those years, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 I didn't have that. I didn't have any contact with God. I was going to do something else. I'm going to make a lawyer now. But the minute I was born again, April the 22nd, 1933, at 20 minutes till 8 o'clock on Saturday night in the south bedroom of 405 North College Street in the city of McKinney, Texas, the minute I was born again, my spirit's right back there where it was as a little child. And that minute I was born again, I said, all right, God, you get me up from here and I'll go preach. That's the first thing I said. See, my spirit immediately knew that. I remember my grandmother and my mother used to tell this. They didn't understand. And as I began to search, then I understood it. My mother had two other children in the family, another girl, another sister, and just one brother just three of the children. She's a whole lot older than the other two because there's two children that died between her and the third one, you see. So therefore, she's a whole lot older and they sort of looked to her like she was their mama, so to speak, because she saw after them, you know, because she's so much older than them. And so I remember my grandmother used to talk about this and she didn't understand it. They were not bad people, but they were not exactly, you know, church-going people. They didn't have any church. My grandfather owned a farm, then he had a country store on an old general store out in the country many, many years ago before the turn of the century, or right at the turn of the century, 1900. Well, before 1900. And they had no church out there in the country. And so they didn't go to church. Wasn't anyone to go to. And it, it always bothered, you see, my grandmother, because this boy, the second one, just a couple of years younger than my mother, died at nine years of age, earnest. 
And you see, he never did go to church. There wasn't any church to go to. Well, my grandmother became involved with some folks that agreed on water baptism. You know, you're not saved unless you're baptized in water. So he never made any kind of confession. He never was baptized in water. Did he go to heaven? Well, it was fall of the year, just a little bit before now. You see, back in September, you start picking cotton down in Texas usually. And he'd wanted to get out there. Cotton grew right up against the house almost. And he'd been wanting to get out there because the cotton's being opened up and they wouldn't let him. They didn't start school. He's nine years of age, but he didn't go to school. They didn't grade you by grades in those days. They, they studied books. You said so many books. But the teacher said, Miss Drake, I believe I'd let him lay out of school a, a year or two. He learns too fast. He's already gone. I mean, just eight years of age. He's just gone through everything we've got. He's, he's a genius. He's beyond his years. And and they didn't know now they call them exceptional children, you know, and, and make provision for them. Then they didn't understand all of that, you know. The teacher said, he just scares me because he knows so much and learns so fast, you know, and, and I just let him stay out so he didn't even go to school. So they were sitting at the noon table on Saturday eating, and out there in the country, Grandpa closed the store up at Saturday at noon and then didn't open up on Sunday. You see, just open five and a half days a week. So he'd close the store up at noontime and come to the house to eat. And so they're at the table eating. And my grandmother said, I said, Ernest, as he looked out there and he talked about how the cotton was opening up, you know, and you can, uh, you know, you'll get your heart's desire. See, this is Saturday afternoon now. We're going to start picking cotton Monday morning. You can pick cotton Monday morning. And she said, he looked at her and said, well, Mama, I won't be here. Well, she said he was always such a good boy, exceptional, brilliant, and such a good boy. He said, honey, what do you mean you will not be here? He said, I'm going to be up there with Jesus. And he was. How do you know that? I said, how do you know that? His spirit was alive to God. How did he even know he's going to be up there? Jesus. They didn't have any church in the community. He didn't go to church. How did he know that? His spirit was alive to God. Are you listening to me? I read the testimony of some folks. This lady wrote to let me know about the book somebody put in their hand, my books on faith, that it had brought her husband out, she and her husband through. Now, they belonged to a church, she said, but like she said, we just were church members. We didn't know it, but we were not born again. We did not know Jesus as a personal Savior. And we were going at a higher rate of speed, and I'd said to him, I'd better slow down, you know, and, and he didn't slow down enough on the curb, and the thing rolled, the car rolled, and actually there's a house there, and it just rolled over and went right into the front porch and right into this house. And he was severely injured. In fact, doctors just give up on him. He's going to die. But there in the hospital, somebody ministered to him and got both of them saved, born again. And then she said, they put your book, What Faith Is, in our hands. And we began to exercise faith and God brought her husband out of it. And they're actually, they're out working in the ministry today for God. But she said, at that time, our only child, three and a half year old boy, was home with the babysitter. And at 9.30, they were watching the television. Now, they were not Christians, so the boy hadn't been brought up. He had been brought up in the religious home, but they were not Christian people. 
Never been born again. His parents were unsaved. He jumped up and turned the television off and ran outside the house. And the baby sat around after him and said, uh, you know, to get him because he just ran out of screaming and crying. What's the matter? What's the matter? Grabbed a hold of him to carry him back in. Three and a half year old child. He said, we've got to save mom and daddy. We've got to save mom and daddy. And just at that moment, that car, see, it didn't make this curve and it went rolling off of the road and into this house. How'd that little child know that? Because his spirit's alive to God. Are you listening to me? I was preaching a convention for one of our full gospel churches, denominations. We were eating in the cafeteria, preaching this camp meeting, and we were eating in the cafeteria, and it was a, a district convention and camp meeting combined. And a young lady said to me, she and her husband were graduated of this denomination's main Bible school. They went out to a town where there was no full gospel church and built a new work, and it was prospering. His roommate in college and in Bible school worked with Youth for Christ. And they'd had an airplane accident, and several of them were killed, you remember, back in the 50s, back up in Washington, Oregon. And they wanted him to come because he was his roommate in college and in Bible school, come and preach his funeral. Well, they're in a small town. There's no airlines there, but somebody there in town owned a private plane, and they said, well, I'll fly you over there to preach the funeral. And so they got up real early, about five o'clock in the morning, and their two children, a little boy, between four and five, little girl, just about three. And she said to me, they were asleep. I didn't want to leave them in the postage by themselves. I'm going to drive him out to the airport. So I just put them in the back seat of the car in their pajamas. You know, we drove out there to this little airport in this smaller town. And he got in the plane and it took off. Just as it took off, this little boy in his pajamas asleep in the back seat of the car between four and five, about four and a half, well, virtually five years of age. He just suddenly rose up and said, Mama, Mama, as the plane was going down the, the runway to take off. Daddy's not on that plane, is he? Daddy's not on that plane, is he? And she said, yes, honey, you know he went and they called this this friend of his uncle, though it really wasn't any kin to him. You know he went to preach uncle so-and-so's funeral. And that little boy said, don't daddy know that plane's going to run into that mountain? He hadn't got the words out of his mouth hardly till the plane run into the mountain. His daddy was instantly killed. Now how'd that little kid know that? He'd never been born again. He wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. His spirit's alive to God. Now why didn't his daddy know it? He's born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. Why didn't his mother know it? She's born again filled with the Holy Ghost. Both of them are ordained ministers with their full gospel denomination. Why didn't they know it? Because their spirit, though it's born again, has not been developed in spiritual things. Are you listening to me? Though it's alive to God, they've come through that period, you see, where their mind and their flesh begin to dominate them. And sin dominated them. And unless they can get your mind renewed with the word of God where your spirit through your mind can dominate your body and the Holy Ghost through your spirit, then your spirit through your mind that's renewed with the word of God, you will not know these things. I went and preached Brother J.R. Goodwin's funeral. Brother Goodwin's assembly of God pastor. Well, he's about 80 years of age. Went home to be with the Lord. 
I knew Brother and Sister Goodwin, you know, became acquainted with them over 40 years ago. We were pastor. They, they were pastor of a church also only 15 miles away. So we had rich fellowship with them through the years. I preached to meetings down after I was on the field down in East Texas. They were pastors. The oil field. Well, one Sunday night after church, Brother Goodwin preached twice. And tired. And he and Sister Goodwin got off to sleep. Well, actually, he got off sleep. He just went to sleep and every time his head hit the pillows. Some way or another in her spirit. See, God deals with you through your spirit. God's a spirit. You don't talk to your head. He's not a mind. He's a spirit. And if we had learned to listen to our spirits, and so, Sister Goodwin, just this, her spirit was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Some way or another on the inside of her, she had the burden to pray, and so she didn't want to disturb her husband. She's over on the backside of the bed. You'd have to climb over him to get out. He's asleep. He's tired. So she lay there and tried to pray as quietly as she could. But such a burden for prayer that she just got to groaning. Well, she happened to awaken him. He thought maybe she's sick or something at first. You know, honey, what's the matter? Is something wrong with you? No, she said, I just have a burden for somebody. And you learn by experience of praying in the spirit. Your spirit becomes sensitive to spiritual things. I just have a burden for somebody. And so he just lying there in bed, agreed with it. They prayed, you know. She said, I don't know what it is, but somebody's life is in danger. Their physical life, some of our folks, some of our people, somebody that's in our church, physical life's in danger. Well, they just agreed lying there in bed that, uh, you know, all they could think of is in the summertime, they had five families on vacation. They was all traveling all night long to get back home traveling by automobile, all they could think of was maybe an accident or something. God's trying to protect them, show them. So they just claimed protection for these folks that were traveling, you know. And, and by course, him agreeing with her, she got a little relief. And so he fell off asleep again. She tried to go to sleep and couldn't. And then, then again, began to groan and finally, you know, not wanting to wake him, but she got too loud and she awakened. No, she said, that's not it. That's just not that. I don't have relief. There's something else. Somebody's life is in danger. Well, whoever it is, Lord, just speak to them and show them. And all the members they could think of, they just took them family by family to claim protection and prayed. And, and uh, she seemed to get some relief and he fell off to sleep. And the third time he was awakened with her groaning in the spirit. And he said, uh, let's just get up. Let's just get up, you know, because he couldn't stay awake. <laughs> let's get up. They got up out of bed, joined hands, prayed. She couldn't get rid of somebody, she said. She kept saying, so I don't understand it, but I just know it in here, you see, in my spirit. Somebody's life is in danger. Physical life's in danger. At four o'clock in the morning, or right about that, they joined hands and agreed. He finally hit on this said, let's agree that whoever it is, that while they're sleeping, if they're asleep, the Lord will give them a dream so they'll know it. If they're awake, he'll just give them a vision. They agreed on that, got release and peace, got to bed, went to sleep. Well, by struggling that way and being awake several hours, and it's summertime too, and their children are not in school, you see. They didn't have to get up. So they slept. They still sleep the next morning. 
when one of the men of their church, I believe he's a Sunday school superintendent, if I'm not mistaken, he got up and went out on the job, worked in a gang there in the oil field. They call them gangs. He went out to pull a well. And the gang pusher said to him, the man that worked the derrick way up the top of the derrick, and they pulled these pipes out of the well. See, the man didn't show up that worked the derrick. And he said to this man, Brother Goodness, Sunday school said, you work the derrick today. Well, he started up that ladder to climb that derrick, got up about 20 rounds or rungs of the ladder, just turned around, came back down, said, I'm not going to do it. Well, why, he said. He said, I had a dream last night and I dreamed that so-and-so, Horace or whoever his name was, didn't show up and you asked me to work the derrick and I was up there working that and that cable that pulls these pipes up broke and cut my head off and it fell down here on the ground. And I know it was about four o'clock because it said when I, I was awakened, when I woke up, I got up and went to get me a drink of water and looked at the clock and it's four o'clock in the morning. Another fellow, now listen to me carefully, who was a member of another church, preached the new birth, thoroughly saved, born again, laughed. And he said, well, I'm not superstitious. I'll work it, gang pusher said. Gang boss said, all right, go ahead. He worked it. He climbed up there. They started pulling the pipe out of the well. They'd been going about 10 minutes till that cable broke, cut that man's head off, and it fell right in the back of that Assembly of God Sunday School Superintendent. Now, wait a minute. You said this other man was saved, didn't you? Yeah, he is saved. You said this other man is born again, didn't you, child of God? Yeah. Well, didn't God want to see after him too? Yeah. Well, why didn't God give him a dream? Huh? Remember, we're teaching, John Wesley said, it seems God can do nothing for humanity unless somebody asks him to do it. It was because though they were born again, they stopped right there. They didn't understand spiritual things. But it was because these people knew something about their own spirit and something about the Holy Spirit and had developed their own spirit to listen to the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to me? Full gospel pastor said to me on one occasion, I knew he had had three automobile accidents, just absolutely demolished his car, cost him a lot of problems, almost cost him his wife's life. And after he had heard me in his church teaching along the line, he said, Brother Hagin, if I'd have known to listen to my spirit, I wouldn't have had one of those accidents. See, he's born again, spirit-filled pastor, but his spirit was not sensitive. You see, a lot of times, though we're born again, our spirits are not as alive to God as they ought to be because we haven't given our spirits the privilege to feed upon the word of God. We haven't given our spirits the privilege to meditate upon God's word as we should. Are you listening to me? We haven't been taught sometimes. We don't even know sometimes that we're spirit beings. We're more soul conscious or we're more body conscious than we are spirit conscious. And it takes time to develop spiritually, just like it takes time to develop mentally. Now, you know, just as well as I know, that we've learned how to cultivate the intellect. You don't cultivate the intellect, develop the intellect overnight. We've learned how to cultivate our bodies, develop our bodies. 
but you don't develop your body overnight, well, you're not going to develop your spirit overnight. But we need to be taught how to develop our spirits, and then it's up to us to develop them. Now, you can know how to develop your body. You can buy books on it. Physical culture. But I don't care how many books you've got there, if you don't put it into practice, you'll never develop your muscles. You can have a book in every room on physical culture. How to develop the muscles of your body. Have a book on that subject in every room. Look at it every now and then and say, isn't that wonderful? But your muscles are still flabby. Huh? Because you haven't put it into practice. Well, you can have a Bible in every room and on every table and two of them by your bedside and occasionally pick them up and dust them off and read a verse or two. But your spiritual muscles are still flabby. No. Your spirit, you need to learn first of all who you are. A lot of times people don't know who they are. Any born-again person oughtn't to ask such silly question. <laughs> I heard somebody, and I wish they was all good, bless their heart, but they're not, on some of those clubs, you know. But they had a lady on there that was singing, and she sang beautifully. And then they interviewed her. Now, she supposedly is born again, spirit-filled in the charismatic move. But everybody in the charismatic move is not charismatic. Some of them are crazy-matic. <laughs> and they're not all saints. Some of them are ain'ts. <laughs> Amen. I don't mean to be mean about it. But now, here this woman sat there Barney, I really just got up and turned it off. I said, turn, no, I had a box there until I just switched to something else. I'd rather watch a ball game or anything beat that, just anything. I just couldn't listen to it. Born again, spirit-filled, talking tongues, but never developed her spirit. She had left her husband because she didn't know who she was. read in the Bible that you've got a right to get a divorce because you don't know who you are. <laughs> Didn't know who she was. Had to go out and find herself. <laughs> Any born again spirit-filled Christian ought to know who they are. Amen. You got all that bunk and junk going around in the world and it's of the devil and it's seeping into the churches. Who am I? Well, who you are physically don't amount to so much. We read here, that's born of the flesh is flesh. If you was born of Henry and Jane Smith and your name's Ann Smith, that's who you are, <laughs> fleshly speaking. If you haven't been born again, you're a child of the devil and on the road to hell. If you've been born again, you're a child of God and on the way to heaven. That's who you are. Get it settled. <laughs> It's just that plain. It's just that plain, isn't it? Said, who am I? Christ.
Christians running out of honor. Who am I? Got to find myself. Run off away from home somewhere else trying to find themselves. I know exactly who I am. Hallelujah. I'm a child of God. Beloved, John said now, now, not when we get to heaven, not tomorrow, not if you leave your husband and go off out somewhere trying to find yourself. Now, now, now are we the sons of God. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Hallelujah. Now that verse of scripture tells you exactly who you are and what you're gonna become, bless God. What more do you need to know? You're still here, you're going home. You notice the scriptures we read talks about according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's already given them to us. Now notice, through the knowledge of him that hath called us. It's through the knowledge of him and the knowledge of this book called the Bible that we find out these things. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. That's the nature of God. See, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. I've got the nature in my fleshly being of my parents. You see that in your own children. Sometimes it's very difficult to reprimand your own children because you see yourself in them. Isn't that right? Sometimes people sort of, well, just out and out lie about it. Said, I don't know where that kid got that. <laughs> Well, I do. I said, I do. They're just a chip off of the old block. <laughs> Partakers of the divine nature. Well, from the flesh, because you're born of your parents, you partake of that nature. In the flesh I'm talking about. But if you're born of God, you've got the nature of God in your spirit. You're supposed to let your spirit dominate you. You're supposed to develop your spirit life. God's word's given unto us to fit and to develop our spirits. And this text said, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That's talking about the word of God, isn't it? That by these, by these exceeding great, and precious promises, we might be made partakers of the divine nature. The more you partake of the word of God, you're born of the word of God. 
And the more you partake of the Word of God, the more you feed on the Word of God, the more you meditate in the Word of God, the more that divine nature becomes real in you. And the more you partake of that divine nature, now notice, having escaped. What is it that we escaped? The corruption that's in the world through lust. What is that corruption? That spiritual death. That's everything that the devil brings. That spiritual death. That's hatred. That's lying. That's poverty. That's sickness and disease. Are you listening to me? But we've escaped that. How did we escape it? Through these exceeding great and precious promises. Turn back over there. Way back in the beginning of the Bible almost. Back over here, you know the verse, but just, just turn and read it to Joshua. Well, Moses is gone. Moses is dead. What are we going to do? Moses is dead. Joshua, the son of Nun, is to take his place. Now let's start reading with the very first verse here. We'll get down to the eighth one here in a moment. Start in with the first. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them and to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now verse 8. He's going to tell him how to get all of that. He's, all these goodies he's been talking about. Glory to God. All of these goodies that he's been talking about. He's going to tell him how to get it. Not only him, but you too. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Paraphrasing that now, language. This book, this word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate. After your spirit's born again, if you want your spirit to grow and to develop it, step number one, meditate in the word. Meditate on the word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate on it, oh, every 30 days anyway. Or on Sunday, anyhow. No, day and night. Day and night. You see, after all, if you'll just analyze what Peter said using different words, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be made partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. That's the same thing. He's saying the same thing using different words. 
This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. Now most Christians that I know of through these 45 years have been failures. But God never made a failure. And that's not the will of God. He wants you to have good success. Now, if God don't want you to prosper, somebody said, I don't believe that prosperity message. Well, I do. I just flat do. It means more than prospering financially. It means prospering spiritually, prospering mentally, and prospering every way, including financially. I do. Somebody said, I just don't believe in that. I do. Amen. So if you don't want to prosper, just don't, but I am. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God, I am. Now, if God didn't want Joshua and Israel, this is not just for Joshua, it's for all of them. If he didn't want them to prosper, why, why, how come him to tell them how to get it? That's strange, God tell them how to get something he didn't want them to have. If he didn't want them to be a success, if he didn't want them to be successful, what do you want to tell them how to be successful for? Why would God want to tell them how to get something that he didn't want them to have? And secondly, Israelites were servants of God. If God wanted his servants to prosper and have good success, do you think he wants his sons, that's us, to have any less? I'll tell you, I wonder sometimes in some born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christians, the way they talk, I just wonder what kind of God they're serving. They sing sometimes like this song that Vep sang. He, he, what is it? He has made me glad. You look over the crowd and I thought to my life, they ought to be saying, he's made me sad. He's made me sad. I'm not filled with gladness. I'm filled with gloom. They look over the crowd sometimes. They look so sad. Bless their darling hearts. They just look so sad. Like something awful has happened. Something's wrong somewhere. What kind of a God? They haven't escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. They haven't escaped that. No, he said that thy way may be prosperous and that thou mightest have good success. I like another translation. He said that thou mightest be able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. I like that better. You know, you couldn't have good success without dealing wisely in the affairs of life. But here he said that how are you going to be successful? How are you going to be able to deal wisely into the affairs of life? How are you going to deal wisely or wisdom in other words? Where does it come from? From the word. From the word of God. From the word of God. From the word of God. Meditate therein day and night. For then thou shalt have good success. <laughs> Hallelujah. And shall be able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. When my way was not prosperous, it didn't look like. When it looked like that I wasn't successful, I knew that verse was so. I kept meditating in it. I kept meditating in it. I kept thinking on it. I kept feeding on it. I knew it was so, praise God, because the Bible said so. And I would have died before I said it didn't so. And what happened? Happened just because I knew it would happen. I mean, the very thing I knew would happen happened. My way became prosperous. I had good success. 
I was able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. It's out there for all of us. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? How you get it? Simple, very simple, by meditating in the Word. That's the beginning. After you're born again, filled with the Spirit, that's the beginning of the development of your spirit. Take time daily to meditate. Spiritual meditation. We hear a lot about meditation, all kinds of junk. But we're talking here about spiritual meditation. Letting your spirit, not necessarily your mind, your spirit. I found out, you know, years ago, thank God for it. Those times of lying on the bed just meditating. On the inside of me, not, not up here necessarily. Sometimes just close my mind out. It's all in here. You don't get there overnight, but you'll distinguish the difference directly. Meditating on the scriptures, meditating on the word of God. And the Holy Spirit sent to be my teacher, see, and he takes that word and opens it up to me. Becomes an inward revelation to me. Hallelujah to Jesus. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.